Larry, tell me a story about a time you had to coach a bully. Once upon a time, and this is not a made-up story. It's not a fairy tale either. It is not a fairy tale. This is all too real. I get a call from the member of a board of directors of a company, and they're telling me that they've got some challenges with their chief executive officer, and they're looking for a coach. And I said, okay, interesting enough. Tell me what kind of behaviors you're seeing. And they said, well, he's arrogant. He's emotional. He's angry. He yells and screams a lot, and people are terrified of him, and people are starting to leave. (laughs) And their conclusion was not, he is not qualified to do this job? (laughs) It was not. It was Let's hire Larry. <laughs> How'd that go? Yeah, well, I I talk with him and I say, okay, look, I'll talk with him. We'll do an interview. So I go to the guy's office and he keeps me waiting outside his office, sitting with his assistant for about 10 minutes. Then she opens up the door, which was probably set up, opens up the door. I walk in. He's got his head down, looking at his computer, doesn't say a word, mm-hmm. walk into the office. I sit in his chair. And he kind of grudgingly lifts his head up from his computer, leans back in his chair, no kidding, puts his feet up on the desk facing me, clunk, clunk, and says, shoot. (laughs) Okay, I'll shoot you right now is what I would do. I am laughing to myself going, well, I can see why I'm here. Yes. But I don't buy into his little boy antics, so I start asking him, hey, tell me about the work you're trying to do, and what do you think's going on here? Bottom line is, he blames everything on the incompetence that he works with, and if people wouldn't do this, and people wouldn't do that, it would be just fine. It's just the people that are the problem. So after about 15, 20 minutes, he says, look, let's just get started with this, because we've got to do this. And I said, you know what? I'd love to help, but basically what I've heard you do is point the finger at everybody else. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to look at your behaviors and you're part of this, I'll be happy to work with you. Why don't you think about it overnight, sleep on it, and then give me a call if you're ready to start this work. And did he ever call? Of course not. (laughs) And it's been five years. Oh, my God. Classic bully behavior. Awful. From Wondery, this is I Hate My Boss, workplace drama, comedic relief. I'm Liz Dolan. And I'm Larry Seal. Before we dive into today's episode, we wanted to give you a quick update on the future of I Hate My Boss. We're coming up on the finale of our first season, which means there are a lot of exciting things on the horizon. We're working on a new name for the show which you might hear in a few episodes, Mm. plus some changes on the show's format that we think you're going to love. And stay tuned for our best of episode, which comes out next week. We'll be highlighting some of our favorite emails, phone calls, and guests from the past season of the show. And don't worry, we're not going away for very long. The next incarnation of I Hate My Boss will be back on the air early next year. Okay. That's all the busy work done on today's show. We'll be tackling toxicity in the workplace, how to deal with your downer coworkers, passive aggressive employees, and those eminently hateable bully bosses. Yeah, let's get back to that bully you were talking about, because from a whole season of letters from all kinds of people in all kinds of industries and all kinds of jobs, I think the number one thing we've heard about is 
bully bosses. In many, many manifestations. Yeah, 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 yeah. Milder and really bad. Yeah. So where do you even begin? Like, you're so you're the coach. You couldn't even take that guy on. So if Larry can't handle a bully boss, how am I supposed to do that? Yeah. Well, it is very scary. It used to scare me when I was coming in to take on these very powerful, arrogant, kind of not very self-aware people. At this point, I feel like if they're willing to hold up a mirror and really honestly look at themselves, you can enter into a conversation. But Mm. it's still I think maybe you can. Exactly. But if I'm an employee, I can't start. That's not my job. I am not going to retrain a person. You know, there's a great book on this subject called Emotional Vampires, Dealing with People Who Drain You Dry. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. We've all had this feeling. And it's by a guy named Albert Bernstein. And in the section that's specifically about dealing with bullies, one of the tips he offered is that the key is to do the unexpected. Like if Hmm. a bully is yelling at you. So So the first step is to ask for time to think, you know. They're mm-hmm. not normal people, is what he writes. <laughs> and so the chance that you're going to have a rational conversation right there is not very likely, unless maybe you're Larry Seal and yeah. you can wrangle these people. But if you end the confrontation right there and step away, that in itself is a win. It is a good way to potentially get the conversation on another track, right? Off the track yeah. it's on. You know, it's interesting, Liz, because I think a lot of people are, and maybe this is my mindset that allows me to deal with them, I think they're unintentionally bullies. They let their emotions get carried away. Mm -hmm. They get overly self-focused. They're focused on the work they have to do, and they forget about all the people around them, and then it causes them to be stupid. Yeah. If I approach it that way and they're open, I think you can begin to have a conversation, but that's really difficult to do if you're not an independent third party. Yeah. I think the number one thing for me when I've ever dealt with bullies is to try not to get sucked down to their level because that's what they want. They want the yelling and the screaming. They want the histrionics. And here's the thing. They have learned over the years, many of them, that anger really works. Mm -hmm. You know, they get the results they want from screaming at people and from creating these confrontations. And so you just have to try to so control how you react to them. Because if you don't give them what they want, which is anger and confronting them right back, then it completely throws them off. And that's all you can really do to de-escalate. Yeah. The very Mr. Spock, logical, rational, you don't start crying and back away, Mm -hmm. and you don't take on that anger in the same way. You don't give them anything to grab a hold of. I try and use that as well. You just don't buy into what you're getting. But that's awfully hard when you work for somebody. I know. I know. Exactly. If you had this kind of person in your personal life, any of these emotional vampires, the sociopath, the narcissist, Mm -hmm. the bully, any of them, the first thing you do is remove them from your life, right? You are so impacted by the handful of people that are constantly in your life that you need to be aware of how you pick those people. Mm -hmm. But you don't get to pick in a workplace. Almost never. And it's one of the reasons, right, we've talked about, you know, one of the reasons people leave their jobs is because they've got just a massive disconnect they feel like they can't fix with their boss. But it also happens with coworkers, too. Yeah, right. This is so horrible. Even though I like my job, get me out of here. How many times have we answered that letter Yeah, this year? yeah. No, I was just going to say that. I think one of the biggest bullies I've ever worked with was actually not a boss. Uh-huh. It was a colleague yep. and someone who is a screamer, which I 
even though you've seen me in some of my unguarded mm-hmm. moments, Larry, <laughs> I am generally not a screamer. No. And especially in the office, I like to keep things, you know, rational and calm. You know me, strong, calm, kind. Strong, calm, kind. And, but I had this one colleague who was just like all into the histrionics and yep. was constantly trying to drag not just me, but my entire team into these fights about things. And we would have like pregame meetings in my office where where I'd say, okay, we're going in now to meet with this other person. (laughs) Whatever happens, do not start screaming. Do not not raise the volume because it just was inevitable. And most of the time, we just lost that battle. It was really hard. You kind of have to remove yourself. And then once there was an issue that came up where I was like, okay, this is it. Now, (laughs) Now I'm mad. And I went down and we started to talk together. And again, this person's volume started to go up. I controlled myself. I controlled myself. And then finally, I just completely lost it. And we, we had like a screaming and yelling fight right there in the office. Fabulous. And it was not something that I was known for. Sure. And when it happens, you're never proud about it. No. But about 30 minutes later, my boss called. He was not in the office that day. He was <laughs> but actually, had gotten a call. <laughs> he was actually in London. And my boss called me to say, I hear you just had a big fight with fill in the blank. I'm like, oh my God, you heard that in London? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. But that's why dealing with a bully is so hard because it's all about how you react. And even if you react well, nine times out of 10, the 10th time they get you. Yeah. Another piece of advice they give in emotional vampires is that when you're dealing with someone yelling at you, a bully, don't even try to explain that for the bully, that is a form of fighting back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just going to continue to escalate. Instead, the book recommends you should say something constructive like, what would you like me to do? Right. And then just stop talking. Flip it. So what that I call that verbal jujitsu. Uh-huh. You flip it around, ask them a question, and make them answer you, right? Well, what is it that's so important about that for you? Mm-hmm. What, are, what problem are you trying to solve? And it forces you to get into your head which means you kind of get out of the emotional response. Mm -hmm. So that flipping it around, I completely agree with that. That's a powerful one. And what else have you ever counseled people? Have you ever coached someone who themselves was dealing with a bully boss? Um, Not an intentional bully, but certainly an unintentional bully. One of the things that happens is managers, when they get impatient, when they get frustrated, they'll fall back into well, why did you do this? And how could you have done that? And it, it begins to feel very parental. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, yeah. the tone just makes people feel like garbage. They feel condescended to. Mm-hmm. And it triggers all of your old stuff about, don't you dare talk to me like that. <laughs> I run into that all the time. Really? So type A personalities who kind of default to belittling language? Yeah. Belittling and condescending language, which triggers people like mm-hmm. crazy. And so... So when I sit with those managers and talk to them about it and say, let me try this out on you. And what I do is I just take the quotes that I've heard them use and I put on their tone and I play it right back to them. And they start to hear themselves. Yeah, they hear themselves. And I'm like, look, I'm guessing you're trying to solve this problem, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. What does that sound like? Mm -hmm. Sounds like my mother. (laughs) There you go. And so when people can experience what's coming out, again, not for the intentional bullies, not for somebody who doesn't give a darn about somebody else, but just someone who's falling into, frankly, really dumb interpersonal habits, that can often be a wake-up call. Mm -hmm. But 
I can do that as a coach fairly easily. Maybe their boss can do that. But doing that as someone who works with or for them, boy, that's a tough one. Yeah. Have you ever seen a bully's behavior really change? Yeah. Yeah. You have? Yeah. I, I, Come on, Larry. Really? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I know you're going to call me Pollyanna. No, but, but I, I know you believe in people. I do believe in people. I'll tell you, this is one of my nasty tricks. When I work with people, if I see that kind of behavior, I know two things right away. One, that's a really old pattern that they probably got from their parents. And B, it also plays out in their personal life. So what I do, my mean nasty trick, is I interview their family members. <sighs> and I I take those comments and use them to go, you may think this is only playing out in a place where you're just at work. This is you, my friend. In totality, what do you choose to do about it? And that often gets their attention. Wow. That is really deep. It is. People start crying a lot at that point, actually. (laughs) The men more than the women, usually. It's like an anger intervention. Yeah, Oh, exactly. And they're Mm. not seeing how it's playing out. And the key is to be able to talk to them about it in a way that gets them to recognize that it's them. Yeah. But if they don't recognize that, they'll just point fingers. Yeah, one of my issues with this is that I think companies manage bullies very poorly. Nobody ever sits a bully down and says, or not not never, but it's just rare that a company sits a bully down and says, your behavior is unacceptable Mm -hmm. because it's all these like bottom line focus things. And really you can be harassing everyone in your department and really terrifying people and not getting very great performances out of them personally. Like maybe they could be doing a lot better, but if you're hitting your numbers or your projections, people are willing to overlook bullying behavior. And I think it's because they see it as leadership. They see it as a style of leadership instead of a flaw in leadership, which is the way I see it. So you just hit on one of my hot buttons, which is people who take those sorts of behaviors, but couch it under the guise of they're just being passionate. They just care so deeply. Baloney. They're childish punks. They're acting like bullies. It's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. But the company does have to be willing to call them on it. And we know the reality is you look at sports, you look at coaches, they put up with all kinds of really bad behavior because somebody is a superstar Mm -hmm. around the bottom line. You can be passionate and care and be invested and not be a childish jerk. (laughs) There's one of Larry's laws right there. Yeah. Larry, I think it's time we answer some questions. So the first one up is from Ryan, whose boss is bringing him down. So Ryan writes, I don't actually hate my boss. In fact, I like him quite a bit and consider him a friend. The problem is that he is incredibly difficult to work with. He's very intense, type A person. He's not always a good fit for our laid back environment. Several times a week, he loses his temper in meetings, criticizes the work of coworkers, or the coworkers themselves, which is usually but not always in confidence, and threatens to find another job where he will be appreciated. <laughs> uh, or take this example. Our company is very meticulous about time tracking, and my supervisor wields this information like a weapon. He is working the longest hours. He had to work over the weekend to compensate for inefficiencies. My coworkers call him a martyr 
tyrant and bully. Oh. So this is the guy that we've yeah. been sort of describing earlier. I just worry that he is a miserable bastard and always will be. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that, that's one way to that's frame one, it. Yeah, okay. And the misery rubs off on me, even though I enjoy the work, the people, and the balance the job affords for my family life. How do I manage someone else's stress from becoming my own? I often think about looking for another job, but that seems like I'd be giving up. <laughs> wow, there's a lot here. Yes. Um, the simple answer is, how do you deal with this person? I think with some empathy and some skill. And here's what I mean by the empathy part. You can certainly feel the reaction that you have to these behaviors, which can easily be pretty negative. I get that. And that's natural. But empathy is putting yourself in their shoes and realizing that this person's acting out almost certainly not because of you, but because of something that is going on with them. And but you know what? Even if I know that rationally, yep. my reaction is not empathetic. Uh, right. Your first reaction is not empathetic. I agree yep. with you. I think the natural reaction is how that hurts or how, you know, whatever yeah. you do when you feel attacked or threatened, that's what you do first. And I think that's natural and it's okay. The next reaction is, hey, 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 wait a minute. There's no way that I think this is the maturity step. And by the way, I know this because when I was in my 20s and even into my early 30s, I was one of the least empathetic people you would really? ever know. Yeah. You were were you an intense type A screamer guy? No. Guy? No, but, but I I kind of thought we all got problems, we all got troubles. Everybody own their stuff. You know, things aren't that tough, right? Because I'm looking at my own experience. Yeah. Things aren't that tough cuz Larry's life was pretty easy growing up. But in my 20s, when I had a real wake-up call and I ended up getting sick in a way I never expected, I've stepped out of work for like nine months, I got depressed, I got sad, and I had to relook at my entire life and go, wait a minute, did I create this? What just happened? Mm -hmm. And I realized stuff happens to people. Everybody are dealing with things that can be difficult for them. And it takes you out of what you expect. That completely changed things for me. That's really? when I got yeah, into I can coaching. imagine how that would. Yeah, it's kind of one of those those life events yeah. that really shocks you into something. And so I am able to bring empathy. That I, I guess if you haven't had that experience, it can be hard to bring it. But yeah, if you just have this jerky boss who is really like very unsympathetic in so many ways. I'm not going to say like, okay, I'll walk a mile in the shoes. Mm -hmm. I know I mm -hmm. should, yep. but it's just not my instinct. I'm just trying to save myself here. Yeah. Reasonable. This is where the skill part comes in. What is it that you can control mm -hmm. in terms of your reaction and potentially setting up some boundaries that keep you safe? Right. I wouldn't focus on that boss hardly at all. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that's good advice because- your ability to really change your boss is very, very limited. Limited. You can so the other yourself. question you asked, Ryan, at the end is, I often think of looking for another job, but that seems like I'd be giving up. And I just don't know why you see this as giving up. I just don't see it that way at all. If you're in a job, you said there are lots of parts of the job that you really like. If you can salvage those and if you can learn how to not take all the stress of your boss onto you and you are still enjoying your work and your life, then like stick it out. Keep your head down. Enjoy yourself. But if you do decide you can't deal with this toxic boss, 
it's not giving up to move on no, at all. Not. You have no responsibility to change that person's behavior. So I would liberate yourself from that sort of false sense of responsibility That's great for, counsel, Liz. for this person. So it's never giving up. It is learning what you need to learn and moving on. It's sim- That's simply a it, rational path that one could take. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I like that a lot. Okay, now we've got one from Ishmael, whose temperamental boss is being demoted. Oh, wow. They write, for many years, I've worked at a university facility, and until about a year ago, we were under the auspices of a department that left everything up to the facility director. Let's call him Joe. Then, after a reorganization, we fell under the management of a different department. Joe is very good technically, but his fiery temperament has created issues with more than a few faculty members. As a result, our new management changed Joe's title from director to staff member. And they announced the plans to hire a facility manager. I was asked to be on the search and interview committee. Awkward. Yeah, no kidding. And while Joe was encouraged to apply, he has not. My question's for you. Should I tell Joe that I'm on the committee? What questions should I ask the candidates to ascertain if they have the skills to deal with the Joe situation without actually hinting, by the way, about their possibly signing up for a toxic work situation? The rest of the staff get along with Joe, but we're looking forward to having a saner boss who can make our facility better. Okay, first of all, Ishmael, let me just say that your management is letting you down here. This is really the lamest sort of management, and you see it all the time where they decide they're not really dealing with the Joe situation. Right. They've decided to saddle a new manager with the Joe situation, which is the worst thing you could do to the new manager. And guess what? You should not be interviewing people to ascertain if they have the skills to deal with the Joe situation because the Joe situation should be dealt with by someone else. Clearly, that is not happening. So I do not have a lot of super helpful things to say here, (laughs) except that I've been in the position where I've been hired into a new job, and there is a problem employee that is there that no one else was willing to deal with. Maybe that's why I get agitated, Ishmael, when I hear about this. This is not something you can fix, and it's just a terrible thing to do. Yeah, and apparently the chickens aren't willing to put their little necks out. (laughs) Yes. And fix it for you. Okay, so I vented a little bit on that. I think this is putting a new manager into really, really a difficult situation that is wildly unfair. But should you, Ishmael, mention to Joe that you're on this committee? Larry, what do you think? No. No. I mean, if he came up to you and said, are you on the search committee? Then I think you need to be honest. Mm -hmm. He's not going to do that. And what value does that possibly provide at all? Mm -hmm. I I don't see any. So putting aside the fact that Ishmael's responsibility is not to find someone specifically who can handle the Joe situation, though they might get stuck with the Joe situation. What should Ishmael be interviewing for? So I think you absolutely are going to be in a place, especially if you're ever hiring anybody, how do they handle tough people situations? So here's a couple of suggestions I would have that I think will get you some good information. Question number one, how would the people who've worked for you in the past describe you as a boss? Like if you gave me the first four or five words that would come out of your mouth, 
what would they say about you? That's going to give you some really great data. In, they in, love my fiery temperament. They love my- <laughs> <laughs> In marketing speak, that's your brand, right? Yes, right. By the way, if you hear all sweetness and light in their answer, they're lying. Yeah, yeah right? of course. I mean, that's just that's just silliness. Or you think I'm a Pollyanna. They're probably, they never get mad at anybody. They never take on the really hard issues. So I would ask that. And I think, how have you handled a really difficult situation, say an employee who's reasonably good at the technical parts of their job, but they have trouble interacting well with people. How have you dealt with that in the past? And then Mm -hmm. just be quiet and let them talk about it. If they don't have an example, you probably don't have a strong manager on your hands. Mm -hmm. And then if if they do have some examples, you're going to get a sense of what their styles are. That's very good advice. Let me just say that to begin with. But it reinforces to me these multiple questions, how hard it is for companies to deal with just emotionally difficult people. You bet. Because it is the hardest thing to even demote someone for as they're doing here, but certainly get rid of them. Like the whole toxic employee thing, it just is, it's insanely difficult for any organization to handle. It is difficult because it involves personal tension. Yeah. as, As a business leader, I would say one of the hardest things to deal with is a technically proficient employee who is personally toxic the worst. Or, or difficult or just negative in the environment. It yeah. is really, really hard. So, so Ishmael, back to you. This is not a problem you can solve, sadly. But I think Larry's given you some guidelines about how to interview this new person. And we'll just have to hope that maybe they're, I don't even know what to say. Um, well, I think oftentimes, Liz, what the company's hoping, right, by cha- just the change in title from director to staff member. They're hoping Joe's going to quit. You bet yes, they are. Right. They may be right. That would be the best outcome here, Ishmael. We're hoping that for you, Ishmael. Now we have a question from Chuck, whose co-worker is driving him up a wall. He writes, so I've been working at my current job for almost a year. For the most part, it's okay. My bosses aren't the worst. My paycheck's pretty good. I like the work. And sometimes I work too many hours. In short, it's a job and it's fine. But the worst part of my day is my awful coworker. He's loud, a little too aggressive in our daily planning meetings, and the worst part, he's an idea thief. Our midday breaks usually line up throughout the day, so I'm obligated to talk to him. And when we're on break, he'll ask me about projects I'm working on, or he'll bring up something our boss said in a meeting. Then when I offer my thoughts on the matter, he'll go and regurgitate them in our next meeting, occasionally winning assignments on projects that I wanted. Sometimes he'll even stand behind my desk and look over my shoulder to see the work I'm doing. I know that the easiest thing would be to stop talking to him, Hmm. but we're a really small team, and he's the only one close to my age, and I'm not really friends with anyone else in the office. Help. Well, I'm, I'm tempted to encourage Chuck to come up with some really stupid ideas and share that with his coworker <laughs> um, and get his coworker. Sabotage. Yeah, but my professional self is not actually going to offer that. I think there's something far easier, which is defer your answers to his questions and just flip it around on him, right? So if he asks you, hey, what do you think about blah, 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 or, or you know, we're doing with this, 
don't give him ammunition here. Mm-hmm. Flip it around and say, you know, I, I'd like to think about that a little bit, or I'm not quite sure. What do you think? Yeah, How what would are you your ideas? It? Just jujitsu this mm-hmm. thing. You don't need to give this guy. We've talked about not feeding into bad behavior. Bad yeah. behavior. Don't give them ammunition. So I'd say do that. And if the guy stands over your desk, stop and say very calmly, may I help you? <laughs> I, it's going to be hard for you to stand there and like mm-hmm. do anything with that. And then lastly, do you want my empathy answer? Yes. Okay. It's not that I don't believe in empathy, Larry. I, of course It's just I don't. think some people deserve it more than others. That's all. <laughs> so he's learned this very bizarre coping skill somehow. Yeah. Somehow this has worked out for him. Don't play into it. You can be friendly with him. You don't have to cut this off. You can be friendly with him. You can talk to him, but don't give him information that he can spin around and use. It's not an either or. There's a middle place here where you can be a good person, but you just don't give him the information to continue this really lousy pattern. Yeah. Chuck, I want to address the part of your letter where you say, he's my only friend, because that's interesting and actually makes me a little sad. It feels a little heartbreaking. You know, you are being manipulated by someone here because you also feel like he's your friend. And that's, you know, that is really sad. And it's one of the downsides, we've talked about this before, of being in a small ecosystem, right? Lots of people feel like big companies bad, small companies good, or even big departments bad, small departments good. Well, anytime you're, you're in this really intense but small team of people, these things can happen. And that's why sometimes being in a bigger company is just better. It's easier to move or hide or whatever. And I'm not really friends with anyone else in the office. Well, the only person who can fix that is you. And it sounds like there's an age issue here. I would just encourage you to open your mind a little bit about who you can be friendly with in the office. Try to make other personal connections so you're not so dependent on this guy who is really not being fair to you. Don't treat him like he's your friend because he's doing things that I would consider to be unfriendly. Okay, now we have a question from Armand. About five years ago, I moved into a newly created role at a large company. My manager had been at the company for 25 years, and she'd been in her current management role for the last three years. I was her first hire. I quickly realized... She was a micromanager, and she would purposely withhold information, often leaving me in the dark on key matters. But I chalked it up to her history of working by herself, so I tried to make her feel comfortable and change my style to suit her. Good for you. A few months after I was brought on, my boss tried to hire for a third position within our small department. But over the course of the next three years, she hired and then fired four different people, most of whom only lasted a few months. Wow. That's sort of a red flag. Yeah, it sure is. One of them even initiated a grievance process against my manager, but they were the one who got let go, not my boss. The longer I continued to work for this manager, the more I realized I need to move on. But I like working at the company, so I stayed while I looked for other opportunities. I decided to network across the organization, both internationally and in the U.S., but these meetings were not taken kindly by my manager, who thought I was stepping on her toes. Then, a few months later, I was told that my role was being made redundant, making me the fifth person across four years to be forced out. Looking back... 
Was there anything I should have done differently? Should I have seen the writing on the wall with my manager earlier, particularly since we never completely clicked? Well, my first observation here, Armand, is that bad bosses frequently have bad bosses. And this is exhibit A. It's just like with Ishmael. If the management at the company is not willing to deal with bad leaders, it makes it incredibly difficult for you to do that. Someone is not dealing with a longtime director who is running a department like a personal fiefdom. I don't know if she has a secret file on her bosses or something, but this is a person who seems to be in the individual contributor pile. They're just letting her get away with murder. And that's really sad when you see that happen. And for whatever reason, there can be a personal connection, there can be years of loyalty to someone, or they're just chicken management more often than not, because she's been there a long time and is probably somewhat powerful. Nobody's doing anything about correcting her behavior, which is not right. So what should you have done? Well, you've done the right things. That's why I hate to see you in this situation. The internal networking was really the right thing to do. You should have the right. It sounds like you're working at a big company, U.S. and international divisions. There are opportunities across a big company for you. You have every right to go out and network, especially at your own level, but even at a level up from your own, which would have been your boss's level. So you didn't do anything wrong by doing that. But obviously, you could have also been doing outside searching. Getting up the energy to go out and look for a job on the outside, it's really, really a hard thing to do. It's yep. very, And we see this over and over again, haven't we, Larry? Like, yeah. People just don't want to pull the trigger on that. You feel like you're standing at the bottom of a mountain of emotions and work to do. Yes. In addition to the job you've yeah. already got. Yeah. Right. So you did the right thing looking internally. You probably should have started looking externally sooner. But, you know, the sad thing here is you have an internal boss who is making you leave a company and a job that you really like. And that is wrong. I'm, I'm sorry for that you have found yourself in this situation. Armand, Liz just gave you some great advice. I'm I'm not really going to add to it at all other than to say, look, it can be very, very tempting to get down on yourself when there's a bad outcome and you're realizing probably quite accurately you should have recognized it and done something about it before. Mm-hmm. Or could have recognized could it. Have. Right. Yes, could you have. Could have. And it, it sounds like you actually feel like, yeah, I probably should have, could have done it. But as we just said, it's not easy, even when you see the train coming at you, to step out of the way when it's about your work and your career. Just putting together a new resume can feel like the biggest rock in the world. Mm-hmm. So don't get down on yourself. Could you have? Sure, you probably could have. Did you? No. It's okay, man. Mm-hmm. You learn something about this. Think about it. If you notice danger signs again, what are the chances that you're going to wait around that long? My guess is you've learned this lesson. You're going to be fine, man. And last but not least, we have a question from Miranda, whose promotion has been a little less than the stellar experience she was promised. Miranda writes, I was a manager for about three and a half months at my current company, but due to the lack of support and the stressful company culture, I decided to leave. When I put in my resignation, the CEO met with me and offered me a generous counteroffer, which included a promotion. I'd be working directly under her. Hmm. I only accepted her offer 
after I shared my concerns over the lack of support and resources in the company, as well as the outdated policies that were harming the business. I left this meeting feeling like she wanted to move the company forward and that I would be able to help. Well, not so. All the things the boss complains about in our company, well, she does it all. She's gossipy, moody, yells at people for things she never communicated, doesn't follow through, doesn't respond to emails or return phone calls. The list goes on. I accepted this promotion because she seemed to want to update things, make changes, and grow the company. But maybe I was wrong. I'm frustrated. I really want to grow as a person, and I was hoping I'd get mentored by working directly under our CEO. But now I feel like I'm treading water. Do I cut my ties, wash my hands, move on? I'm going to let you talk to Miranda. Let me talk about this situation and the CEO, because I think what she's describing is a boss that doesn't see their own behavior, does not see that they're actually creating the problem. And... When they had the conversation with them, shoot, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say, sure, they actually did mean they wanted to change. They actually were willing to try and do things differently, but expressing a desire to change and actually doing things differently are completely separate things. It's why I have a job, frankly, Um, (laughs) because you say, I want to change. You got to break that down and really look at the things you're thinking, the beliefs that you have, and then your reactions. And that's and that's tough. Do you think Miranda needs to give the CEO more time to change? Because change is hard, as you say. So if the CEO said to Miranda, okay, let's change, and it's not instantaneous, how do you know when to go? We, yeah. can, we constantly have to answer this question. Sure. So let me answer it this way. I would not expect an immediate 180 degree shift from this to that. Um, I'd expect that shift to be imperfect, but I would expect to see changes right away. Mm-hmm. I'd expect to see different reactions, different questions, different ways of interacting. And if you don't see that, you either know they weren't being genuine about their desire to shift and change, or they don't have the slightest idea how. Yeah, right. I mean, more likely the latter than the former, right? I think so. Give the CEO the benefit of the doubt. They probably meant it when they said it, but they're just not up for it. I I think that's true. What what else do you think Miranda needs to think about? You know, Miranda, you've said, I really want to grow as a person, and I was hoping I'd get mentored. And this is so hard. Is there a way to grow if your boss is not providing the teaching? No, not usually, unless your boss is giving you a lot of responsibility, you know, where, okay, your boss could be totally swamped with CEO stuff. And if they're handing off things to you and you're going to get a chance to just like do it yourself. Own them from A to Z, right. That could be a good opportunity for you. I don't know if that's happening here. It doesn't feel like it from your letter, but that's sort of one thing you could watch out for. Otherwise, if the person you're working for is not really teaching you what you want to know, that's a long struggle. And yeah. sometimes they're not. I'm not saying that every job you're learning and growing. And <laughs> I understand that. But like the person who is your boss is the person who is most directly responsible for whether you're learning something or learning nothing. So you have to decide, is there an opportunity here for you to learn what you want to learn? The other thing I'd say, which like I've never done a scientific study of this. Maybe somebody has. The whole idea of counter offers. That's a little bit of a red flag to me. And here's why, Miranda. Usually by the time you've been out looking for work and you've gotten another job and you're telling your company you're ready to move on, 
you have emotionally worked through like all of the stages of grief that have to do with the separation from Typically, your company, right? That's you for sure. are you have one foot out the door. And I think you're probably have your other foot like is in the air too. Oh, yeah. Like lifting up. I just don't see that many examples in businesses I've been in where someone tried to leave, got talked into staying, and that really worked out for everyone. And I think it's because you've already decided in your mind, like, I don't want to work here anymore. I don't like these people. It's like you've emotionally already flipped that switch. I've seen people get counteroffers and I've seen it work very, very rarely, very rarely. Because usually what happens is if you stay, they bought you. Yeah. In other words, you sold out. Mm-hmm. There's also a little bit of a fracture of trust, yeah, no matter oh, for what. for sure. And that's inevitable. Yeah, we had It's to... like understanding that your spouse was cheating on you. Okay, you might be able to work through that, but it's always in the back of your mind. I, I would guess, right? Every time every time you see a reminder of something, yeah. you're wondering if it's back again. So I think, I think that's and right. And I would say to other people who are thinking, like, I'll get a counteroffer and, and that will solve all the problems. And A, it doesn't solve your problems. And B, you've created a whole different mindset by even looking for work and having people offer you jobs that you now feel better about the outside world than you feel about inside yeah. where you're working. In case you missed anything from today's show, don't forget, you can tap the cover art and get all the notes for this episode. You'll also find our phone number and some great offers from our sponsors. To check those out and support the show, head over to casper.com, blueapron.com, ziprecruiter.com, and audible.com. Liz? Slash boss. It's always slash boss, okay? This episode was hosted by me, Liz Dolan, boss emeritus and satellite sister, and Larry Seal, CEO and founder of Engaged Leadership. The original theme song was composed by Martin Blanco. Audio engineering by Misha Stanton, special consultant Julia Smith, produced by Cameron Kell, created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy. But you don't have to. 